Welcome back to the Namaste Teach podcast. This is Jen. Hi, everybody. This is Tisha. And we are so excited for today's episode. We have an all-star amazing guest, Danielle Parker. So Danielle Parker has been working in education since she graduated with a master's in teaching in 2003. She has worked in a variety of settings, from being an educator at a county park and an animal shelter, to being a traditional teacher at both private and public schools. Constantly learning and adapting, Danielle became certified to teach yoga in 2016 and is about to finish her Montessori secondary certification. She was the founding teacher of the middle school Montessori program at her school in Charleston, South Carolina. And Danielle focuses on fostering a culture of mindfulness because she believes that only from a nourished and mindful state, true learning can occur. In addition to her yoga and education background, Danielle is the owner of the Salty Blossom. Through the Salty Blossom, she uses her talent for creating custom jewelry from raw materials such as gemstones and crystals to create high vibration pieces for her customers. Passionate about educating others about their own energy, Danielle also offers energy work in the form of Reiki and Akashic Record readings. And I am just so excited to introduce her to you guys today. I've had the pleasure of working closely with Danielle through the Adolescent Montessori Program here in Charleston, and I was immediately drawn to her energy. Our initial conversation was about the gorgeous pieces that she creates, and then we evolved into all of these soul-enriching conversations about the goal of education and how we can use this container to elevate humanity. I've also had the pleasure of attending her yoga classes, and I always walk away with a sense of alignment and a message that I can take with me into the classroom. It is my absolute pleasure to share her energy, her light, and her perspective with you guys today. Thank you, Danielle, for joining us today. It's such an honor to be able to talk to you and just have you talk to the Namaste audience. Uh, let's just dive right in. The first question we want to ask you is, as an educator, what would you say are the three main reasons that brought you to this career path? And why did you want to become a teacher? Or maybe talk about who inspired you to pursue this career. If you can name a few people that inspired you to be an educator or want to teach, please share that with us. Those are great questions. I feel like I came to teaching in a different way than a lot of people I've spoken to. Uh, I did not want to be a teacher. I was a marine biologist. I was going to school to be a scientist and to save the oceans, and I was going to be this amazing person. And there was a professor on campus, and it was known that you went and you met with this professor and he would set you up with a job in a lab on campus. And he was known for starting the careers of, of lots of high level people. So my friend went and met with him and a week later he was in a lab. I thought, no brainer, it's my turn. I went, I set up an appointment and I sat down. He looked at my transcripts and this is exactly what he said. He said, you will not amount to anything. So that was uh, upsetting and crushing in a way. And because of that, I left and I said, uh, well, I'm going to show him. <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to get an internship this summer, and I'm going to do it on my own, and I'm not going to have any of his help, and we'll just see what he thinks about that. So I wrote to every aquarium in the United States, and two of them wrote back, 
one of them offered to pay me. So I ended up in North Carolina working at an aquarium and I got there and I was prepared because I was going to learn about how to take care of animals and water chemistry and all of these sciencey things. And it turns out I had checked the wrong box on the application and what they hired me to do was an education internship. As Again, I was sort of frustrated and I didn't really want to do it, but there I was. So I did an education internship that summer. And at the end of that, I sort of realized, oh, uh-oh, but I, I think this is what I like. So I very accidentally got into education. And even, even from that, when I think about the journey towards becoming a teacher, my student teaching was disastrous my first teaching job was horrible. I was so overwhelmed. I quit after two months and I swore to myself, I will never teach again, never. And then, you know, three years later, I just, I couldn't help it. I, I just, I was drawn, I have to go back. So when I think about why I got into teaching, first of all, we can thank Professor Green for telling me that I would amount to nothing. <laughs> because that helped me to accidentally find an education job. And then I think about all the, all the failure I experienced on my journey. And if I circle back to your first question, you asked, oh, what are the three main reasons that brought you to this career? I would say the first was failure, whether in someone else's eyes or my eyes. Next was perseverance, uh, because I, and I don't even know why, but I kept going. And thirdly was the joy, this unexpected. I didn't expect to love my job. I thought I was going to work hard and, and you know, be frustrated and just go home at the end of the day and have a family. But it turns out the connection I felt when I talked to other people and was able to show them things brought me immense joy. So failure, perseverance, and connection. Wow, so literally my jaw dropped when I heard you talk about Professor Green's response. That is shocking. And I'm cracking up thinking about you checking the wrong box and that's how you ended up in this career. Um, Cause I love stories like that. Cause mine's not like that. Like I was like in future teachers of America and like knew I was going to be a teacher type of thing. So I love hearing everyone's journey as they come to education. Um, and I think you really spoke to something that I think a lot of our listeners can resonate with. And certainly I can identify with as an educator is like that roller coaster. Like you talked about how you resisted it and you left um, shortly after student teaching or after your first job. Um, and I have often said, like, I feel like sometimes teaching can be like an abusive relationship. Like you're like, oh, this is over. I'm, I'm done. And then you just keep coming back. There's something that keeps pulling you back in. So um, I just I love your response, Danielle. And I love hearing that aspect of your journey. So because of what you shared with us and what we read in your bio or what we discussed in your bio, you've had such a diverse career in education from working at county parks, animal shelters, aquariums, um, and then both the private and public sector. So what do you think is the one thing that all of these settings have in common? And if you could share with us, did you have a favorite out of all the settings in which you've worked? 
That's a very interesting question. I feel that I'm constantly um, pulled between my desire to do informal education. So that would be like at animal shelters or anywhere not in the classroom. And then when I'm doing that, I feel like I, I need to get back into the classroom. So I tend to go back and forth. Uh, informal education is so attractive to me because you're allowed to be so creative as the teacher or the educator. You can do your own thing and just take a topic like, you know, marsh ecology and do whatever you want with it. And because of that, I feel like amazing lessons happen and students or whoever comes have amazing experiences. On the other hand, when I'm doing informal education, I'll plan this amazing lesson and a group will come and they'll have a great time and then they leave and I never see them again. So when I'm teaching informally, I miss the connection. I miss the relationship with students, watching them grow and just watching your relationship with them evolve over time. So that's what always pulls me back to the classroom. And then I'm in the classroom and all I can think about is, oh, I have these great relationships, but I'm not allowed to teach whatever I wanna teach. So then the struggle becomes in the classroom, I have to teach specific standards and sometimes I have to teach them a very specific way. And so the part of me that wants to be creative and wants to flow with what feels right is often squashed. So um, I'm torn between that. I, I wanna teach in a way that's both creative and where I can, build connection. And that's what I've seen from all of my experiences. They all have different pros and cons to them. Thank you, Danielle, for that. That's very relatable. Uh, we can all relate to that, Jen and I both, and some of our listeners too. And uh, I myself, as a, a Montessorian, also I'm trained and credentialed in Montessori and know the, the organic nature of education and how it all evolves and how it changes so quickly. But I want to know, like, from you, like, as educators, uh, there are days that can be very unpredictable in the classroom and navigating the world of school with students and parents. It could be quite an emotional roller coaster ride sometimes. Can you share with our, our audience about how you stay present when dealing with different people that you encounter during the school day? Or do you have any practices that you do throughout the day to help you stay present? Oh, yeah, definitely. So on an intellectual level, I know the right answer to that question. Uh, and it goes something like this. Uh, you need to be a good listener. It's not personal. But as the teacher, when the student gets upset, when the parent yells at us, when administration doesn't like what we're doing, all of that feels personal, like they're personally attacking us. And that's very hard. And I think that maybe contributes to this roller coaster because on the other hand, when the parent praises us or the student or administration, we feel like we're rock stars and, and we can do no wrong. So we're constantly going up and down. Uh, and so if we can just realize that, then we would step off the roller coaster and wouldn't have to go up and down. So intellectually, that's what you need to do. It sounds very, very simple. But I think we all know that in reality, that is almost impossible. So to answer this question, I would say, I have been on this journey 
of failing, of just making big mistakes. And that goes for mindfulness as well. I've been studying mindfulness um, actually since college. I took my first meditation class in college and I've been sort of on again, off again with it since then. And it's a, it's a practice. So I can read all these books on mindfulness and I can learn how to breathe and all these tools to keep me in the present moment. But the truth always comes back to, I'm gonna mess it up. So I do. And I used to feel early on that anytime I messed up or I failed or was imperfect, that I needed to run away, that this obviously wasn't for me. And, and I did that a lot early in the career. And I've now come to realize that what I thought was a weakness uh, is actually my superpower. I am really, really good at messing up. And I'm really good at failing at things like being mindful when the parent is really angry at me. So in the end, I say, this is a practice and I will practice being mindful. And uh, in terms of tools I have and in this journey where I am now, I start my day in the classroom, getting there early enough so that no one else is there, no students have arrived, and I'm able to just look at my classroom and feel how good the energy and know this is a good place. Learning's going to happen here. Good things are going to happen here. And then the day starts and things go up and they go down and they go sideways and who knows where else. And then at the end of the day, I come back to this place where I can reflect. So I would say in the past, I would just run away and say, that was terrible. Let's do something else. And now I'm able to sit with it and say, yeah, uh, I think I messed that up today and it's okay because I'm really just going to practice that again tomorrow. And I've come to a place where if, if it were on my end, where I blew up at the students, I come back the next day and we sit down and I apologize to them. So um, sharing this vulnerability with students, I believe, is the thing that creates connection. And uh, that goes for all of us. So as we go, we'll all pick up on different tools. Mine is mindfulness at the beginning and the end of the day. If I can happen to catch it at moments throughout the day, I grab it as I can. But at the end of the day, I reflect on what happened. Can I practice that differently tomorrow? And how can I move forward in a positive way? Wow. I told you guys, you listeners, that you're in for a treat because I love, Danielle, I love your authenticity and just the reminder like of, yes, the truth is I am going to mess it up. So I do. And I'm really good at it, right? Like, and I can totally relate to that. And I feel like there is that whole perfectionism complex or like the idea of like, well, I practice mindfulness, so I should be like the Buddha by now, you know, like. And there's that concept of that we are infallible. And if we do make a mistake, the world's going to end and it's going to stop spinning. And so it's so liberating to hear someone who's so well-versed in yoga and mindfulness and energy practices and self-care kind of let us off the hook and say, 
that's the idea of a practice. So remember, you can come back to it. It's your reflection. It's your vulnerability. The vulnerability is what creates the connection. And then you can move forward. So I just really love that. And I think that's a gift to all of our listeners. And because of this background that you have and your relationship with vulnerability and being really good at messing up and having that be your superpower, um, what are some ways you use this to help others manage their own energy, um, your colleagues, your students? And I also really want to speak to this now in this moment where our world is undergoing crisis. And it feels like the baseline state of our culture with this pandemic is a time of um, anxiety and panic. What are some tips and tools you might have for educators or anybody else who's listening? Well, I think I've been, uh, my journey was so happenstance that it, it brought me to the point where I became or am almost Montessori certified because uh, the Montessori curriculum incorporates mindfulness, which is amazing. I haven't seen any other educational curriculum that says this is important and we need to do this. So uh, it was sort of another random circumstance that brought me to Montessori, but because of it, I've been able to incorporate mindfulness in a few ways in the classroom. So, you know, at least once a week, we breathe in my class. So we learn different breathing techniques and we'll sit and at the start of a lesson or right before a work period, uh, we'll do some breathing. And at first, you know, it feels like a vulnerable thing even to lead someone in breathing because, well, we breathe all the time. And well, why do I have to maybe close my eyes or sit still? And the students at the beginning of the year are always a little bit skeptical. And then a few weeks in, if I forget to do breathing, they're requesting it. And there are some days where it's not the day to breathe and they'll say, hey, you know what, I really, I really need to breathe today. And we'll do that. And it's so affirming to have them do that. And uh, another thing that Montessori brings is this idea of uh, reflective questions. So we're always trying new things or I am trying new things in the classroom with the students or they'll have an idea to try something and we'll do it. And then at the end, we'll sit and we'll really just say, okay, how did that go? What did we like? What was a challenge? What can we do differently? How can we make this better? So uh, it's such a simple practice, but just like breathing, it's something we don't give ourselves that time to do. And it's amazing that I'm able to do that so easily. And uh, because of that, I feel my students are really good and becoming stronger and stronger at noticing their emotions and being able to sit with emotions and reflect on them before maybe moving forward. Uh, in terms of my colleagues, they, I've become known at the school as the mindfulness person, so, uh, which is awesome and I love it. They'll, they'll ask me to just sort of calm people down or at meetings, maybe they'll ask me to do some breathing. Lately, I've been trying to offer yoga a little bit more because I feel like yoga has taught me the connection between my body, my breath, and my mind, and how can I bring those all in alignment, and I love sharing that. Uh, I've even teamed up with my friend, Katie, and we're offering free Zoom yoga during the, this pandemic, uh, maybe longer, to anyone who's 
interested or who would need it. So uh, Jen, I know you'll share that link with everyone at the end and um, just share it with anyone who you think would need it. Uh, mindfulness uh, can never be used enough and it's such a practice and I feel that it's helped me to remember who I am in these times of uncertainty. I have these tools where I can come back and say outside things are stressful but right here at this specific moment everything's fine. I'm okay. I can be happy. Yes, I, I that's all good food for thought and that you're known as like the mindfulness person. That's, that's really cool that, you know, they look to you and they come to you because people need that sense of calm and, you know, school can be a, a it's a wonderful place, but it get, a lot's going on and people just need that balance. So thank you for your thoughtful responses to our questions. Uh, we're getting close to the end of our show. Jen, you want to jump in with a few uh, closing remarks or as we get toward the end? Um, yeah, I mean, we have a couple more minutes, but I think that one thing I really wanted to talk about here that you talked about in your bio and we've been talking about throughout this whole process is the need for our own personal management of our care and our energy. And I think the common response I hear from teachers is, well, I don't have time. But I, what I've come to the conclusion of in my own life is it's less about time and more about priorities. So what would you say to somebody who hasn't been making the space to prioritize their, their personal growth or their self-care, if you could give them just a piece of advice as to how you made that real for yourself in your life? Um, anything that you can share with our listeners on that? Yeah, and, and to this, I have to come back to connection. So it it was a journey. I mean, this whole thing has been a journey. And I have found that what I love about teaching and what brings me back to the classroom is my ability to connect with my students. Uh, and I realized at some point that unless I'm able to connect with myself first, then I can't truly connect with someone else. Unless I'm able to know who I am and to be authentically myself. Uh, that's where true belonging comes from. And that's where my work, my self-work stems from, is this need to come back to myself. So I think it's very hard. And again, there are weeks when I fail at self-care and I have to reflect at the end on, well, darn, you know, I really, I messed that up. I didn't spend any time on myself this week. And in those moments or in those weeks that you know are really bad, I do have this one trick and I don't tell everyone, but I will tell you. I use the time when I have to use the restroom. I go in and I close the stall or if I'm at home, I close the door and I'll just stand there for a minute or two and uh, and that's some weeks, that's my mindfulness. That's all I have. But I can stand there and take a few breaths. And often it's only three to five breaths we need to bring us back to ourselves and to say, okay, you are okay. You know who you are. You can go out there and be that person for everyone else. So uh, you're never going to be perfect at self-care just like you'll never be perfect at anything else. But 
definitely prioritizing and finding a routine. So first thing in the morning, right before bed, and if nothing else, I know you're going to the bathroom at least once or twice. So you can have that moment right there to just take a few breaths. And you'd be surprised when you start with something small, like standing in the bathroom for a couple breaths, uh, you, you'll remember that and you'll want to do it more often. So that's what I found. Yes, that's awesome. And I like to say, I'm so glad you brought up the breath. It's so important. I like to say the breath, our breath is our greatest gift. I mean, it's always with us, but sometimes, you know, we forget to breathe. And that's an awesome tip and a trick that we could use. And it doesn't take that long to do, finding that space and making that time. Uh, in closing, Danielle, I just want to get to, are there any books or resources that have helped you through your career or in your life in this journey that you want to share with us? Like a couple of books that really like just did it for you? Oh, yes. I, I knew this question was coming. So I've gone to my bookshelf and uh, I'm an avid reader, but I, would, I looked at what I've read in the past year and there were two books that jumped out at me. I read Dare to Lead by Brene Brown, and um, she's sort of the guru of vulnerability and courage and authenticity. So she speaks to all, all of these things that uh, I've had in my life and didn't know how to name. So that's amazing. And that book has so many practical tidbits and tools to use in your life. And then the other book I would recommend that I come back to again and again, and we'll just read maybe one chapter at a time, is called When Things Fall Apart by Pima Children. Uh, this, is, this is amazing too. So she says it's heart advice for difficult times. I think both of those reads would be appropriate for wherever you are in the world right now. Um, I remember you're the type of friend that I know is an avid reader. It is always reading something insightful. And as I mentioned in um, Danielle's bio, going to her yoga class, I always walk away with so much wisdom. There's always like a theme that goes along with it. And so I remember reaching out to you, like, I need a book to get myself in the mindset of professional development. And you had recommended Dare to Lead to, to me at that time. And um, I completely agree. It was such an important read. So thank you for sharing those with our listeners. And unfortunately, we're out of time. But as always, it's been such an enlightening experience talking to Danielle. So thank you, Danielle, so much for being here. And to our listeners, you guys can find out more about Danielle at her website, The Salty Blossom, or via her Instagram account with the same name. And remember to take advantage of her most generous offer. She mentioned that she's offering free or donation-based yoga with her friend Katie at this time. So in the show notes, we'll include the link to her offer as well as her website and some of the books that she shared. Um, any closing thoughts, Tisha or Danielle? Uh, I'd like to just say I am so honored and grateful to be able to talk to Danielle today and for her to share her nuggets of wisdom and uh, all of her, her techniques and just her journey. I mean, just from the beginning, how she started out and how the journey led her to here. Uh, we're just uh, honored to be able to have this time to listen to uh, Danielle and, and take all that in. And you can listen, go back and listen to this episode as many times as you want. We'll have all the notes in there for you. But uh, just thank you for tuning into the Namaste Teach podcast. And thank 
for having me. You know, it's such a treasure to connect with people who you can be authentic with and, and get into deep conversations. Uh, I really treasure that. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Goodbye for now. Everybody stay well and be well. Bye-bye. Thank you.